Our first reading today is from Leviticus, which you can find on page 124 of your Pew Bibles. We're reading verses 9 to 13. I will look on you with favor and make you fruitful and increase your numbers, and I will keep my covenant with you. You will still be eating last year's harvest when you will have to move it out to make room for the new. I will put my dwelling place among you, and I will not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt so that you would no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to walk with heads held high. The second reading is Amos chapter 9, verse 7, which is found on page 912 of your Pew Bibles. Are not you Israelites the same to me as the Cushites, declares the Lord? Did I not bring Israel up from Egypt, the Philistines from Kaftar, and the Arameans from Kerr? This is the word of the Lord. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been considering together what it means to be all in as a church, to be all in for the vision that God has given to us as a community to hold. We've heard that if we're a church that is following Jesus, then that means we have to be following Jesus with our whole lives and not just with Sunday morning from 11 to 12.15. We've acknowledged that if we're a church that really is loving the city, then we need to be totally committed to praying for the city and living in such a way that it allows us to share the reason for that deep love with our neighbors and classmates and colleagues. And so this week, we'll consider the third part of our vision as a church together, that we are a church that is serving the world, that we want to be all in for serving the world. And I think we're hesitant to be all in for serving the world, because we're taught about the survival of the fittest and we're encouraged often in various spheres of our life to look out for ourselves and our families and for others who are like us first. We quickly form these associations that bring us comfort and security and we're prone to preferring these groups and serving them over the blank check that is serving the world. We tell ourselves that if I look out for myself and these people who are like me, then I'll be taken care of. They'll look out for me too. I'll be protected and insulated and then maybe I can tepidly consider serving the world. But to be all in for it, well, that seems unlikely and uncertain. Not only do I think we're hesitant to wholly commit ourselves to that action of serving the world, um, but I think that apprehension that we have makes us also very quick to think that God really isn't all in for serving the world either. We tell ourselves that God is on our side. He must be. We have a book filled with stories that tell us just that. 
of how God has chosen us and worked for our good explicitly, so surely that must mean over and above the good of other people. We have 2,000 years of the church's history in the West through which we mark the continued action of God in our nations and in our lives for our good. We could hardly be faulted for believing that God is all in for us, even as we are, and not just generally all in for the world. And fortunately for us, this is by no means a contemporary or a new problem. This has often been the story and the dilemma of God's people. The Israelites felt very much the same way. You see, the promise that we heard read for us this morning from Leviticus included a line in it that appears over and over again throughout the Hebrew Scriptures. God consistently tells the Israelites, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Time and again, God reminds these people of an incredible thing that God did for them and that God did against the Egyptians. So eventually it sticks. Eventually the people remember it and it forms their very identity as a people, an identity that we are chosen. Unfortunately for us in our sinful nature, we are chosen quickly becomes we are better than you. And we're better than you doesn't quickly fade. Even when everything in their lives and society began to look remarkably similar to the cultures of their neighbors, they continue to believe we're better than you. We're all in for us. And so is our God. Tragically, this has also been the story of the church far too often for us to recount. We're better than you. We're all in for us. And so is our God. This has been the message received loud and clear by generations of people impacted by conquests and colonialism under the sign of the cross. We're better than you. We're all in for us. So is our God. That is the story that the church tells when its service to the world is only worthwhile as a tool for converting others to Christianity, as if serving the world was contingent upon the world's eventual membership in our club. And if we don't see that happening, why bother? And now in our post-Christendom culture, it's a message that is just assumed of us before we've said a single thing. Because despite Jesus' assertion that his disciples would be known by their love, that that would be the defining characteristic of Jesus' church, it has not always been so. As self-centeredness has ruled our lives and our churches, it has stunted the service that we offer to the world. As we have too often lived as if we don't, as if we do actually believe that we are better than others as if we actually ought to be all in for us, that we believe our God really has chosen us over a world that is in need. The Israelites were so molded by that saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that I can only imagine the surprise that rippled through the crowd when God spoke again, this time through the prophet Amos. Are you not like the Ethiopians to me, O people of Israel? 
Did I not bring Israel up from the land of Egypt and the Philistines from Kaftor and the Arameans from Kerr? Wait, what? They knew that God had brought Israel out of the land of Egypt. That's what had formed them as a community. But God also brought the Philistines from Kaftor. When, when did that happen? Where is that in the scripture? And then God brought the Arameans from Kerr. And we are just like the Ethiopians to him. What if God hasn't only been looking out for Israel this whole time? What if all along God had been caring for the whole of the world? The Israelites would probably have a hard time imagining that. Because you see, the Philistines, they didn't worship the true and living God. No, they worshiped Dagon. The Arameans, they didn't worship the true and living God. They worshiped a whole host of other deities. These people didn't know as much as Israel knew, didn't have that kind of deep and meaningful relationship with God, the God who was rescuing them as Israel had. And yet still, they were rescued from these lands. And here, God says that he did it. I've often imagined when I consider this verse from Amos, that the Philistines, when they were led out of Kaftor, they praised Dagon for it. Why wouldn't they? Of course, they believed Dagon did it. He was their God. But here, in this passage, the God of Israel claims that action as his own. He says that story that the Philistines have of themselves as well, that was me all along. Israel's God, it seems, has been taking care of his children, the Israelites. But he's also been taking care of his children, the Philistines. And he's been taking care of his beloved, the Arameans. Israel's God has always been all in for the world. I'll confess that I love preaching out of the Old Testament. There are such good and rich and interesting texts there like I think today's texts are. I think this verse from Amos casts God's relationship with the whole world in the most illuminating light. But there's another verse that I could have chosen to be read today that most of us already know and which underscores this point exactly. We see it scribbled on signs at sporting events and shouted from bullhorns at Young Dundas Square. Of course, it's John 3.16. And if you know that verse, I'd invite you to say it with me right now. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved us, the church, for God so loved some people or all people but only the people. No, for God so loved the world. God so loved the cosmos. God so loved the beautiful and wonderful creation that God made that he sent his one and only son. Friends, our God is and always has been all in for the world. All in even to the point of rescuing people who didn't know his name, like the Philistines and the Arameans, like you and like me. All in to the point of becoming a human and learning our stories and dying our death. 
all in to serve and save a world that he loved, even when we didn't want him, even when we didn't care and couldn't be bothered, for God so loved the world. So if God so loves this world, so loves this world despite its turning away, despite its darkness and its sin, its outright rejection of God's only Son, if despite all of those things, God continues to serve this world, God continues to give breath to every living thing, continues to send rain on the righteous and the unrighteous, continues to rescue all sorts of people from lands of danger and oppression, if Jesus continues to pray to his Father, on behalf of the very people who would at best be hesitant to leave their jobs and follow him, and at worst would join the throng gladly that shouted, crucify him, crucify him. If this is all true still today of the God that we follow, then how can we not do likewise? Jesus enters into a world God loves, and he serves that world first by learning what it is to be human by understanding our pain and our sorrows. And in the presence of our suffering as well as our joys, Jesus relates to us the very presence and goodness of God. So too, as we choose to be all in for serving the world, our posture should be like that of Christ, who enters this new situation humbly, asks questions and grows to understand, and then speaks of how God has already and always been present. Surely if God worked to bring the Philistines out of Kaftor, God is working even now in the life of your neighbor, the Syrian refugee, your coworker, the devout atheist, and working halfway around the world in a city and among a people that you've never heard of and who quite possibly have never heard of the God that we worship. Surely God will continue to be present in the lives of our neighbors, the Khalils, because this is who our God is. There's an Indian theologian and missiologist named Vinay Samuel, and he speaks to a problem that he sees churches like ours might have with a sermon like this. He says that the trouble the Western church has is that they see Western cultural history and Christian history as one and the same. What he's pointing us to is that we have not always been able to see that God's story is bigger than our story, is bigger than the stories that we've told ourselves for so long, that we haven't learned the capacity to serve the world through the lens of the church in India or China or Tanzania, that we have not been able to realize that there was a Christian story in India before Christian missionaries partnered with colonial powers, that, that in fact the living God was already at work in India before a single person knew the name of Jesus, that just as we have always been able to interpret our cultural histories as a Christian history, so too the church must learn to interpret the histories of each culture through the bigger story of the living God who is and always has been all in for serving the world. So church, it's simple. What I want you to do is deceptively simple. It's complicated. 
Can we serve the world first by learning the stories of the world? Can we begin by speaking with and growing to love our neighbors and coworkers, even across linguistic and cultural divides? Even the most difficult people in our midst, the ones that we just cannot understand. I think as we patiently hear their stories, we'll begin to see how God has already been at work in their lives. Even if they would never see it that way. And even if they would call that thing that we're calling God something else entirely. To do this work, to cross borders that divide us, to learn stories that are not our own, to humble ourselves and forget that we're quite sure we know all the answers to how God has worked in the world, and to simply sit and listen, to honor the stories of another person and culture, to listen for God's Spirit already present in their lives, That work is missionary work. It's part of our story as a church. The missionaries that we're most familiar with here at Knox have this very thing in common. George Leslie Mackay continues to be honored and memorialized in Taiwan. They issued stamps a couple years ago with his face on them. And this isn't because Taiwan is now a Christian nation. Taiwan is less than 5% Christian. That's not why they honor this Christian missionary. But it's because Reverend Mackay didn't go and try to fix everything, but he worked alongside the people who were there. He worked alongside God's spirit to understand and preserve the culture present in Taiwan underneath Japanese colonialist rule. He empowered those who he met there to teach and to preach and to establish schools and to educate their children. He so understood the people he served, in fact, so loved them and empathized with them that when he was back in Canada and the moderator of our national church, he broke all precedent and spoke out against a head tax that was taxing Chinese immigrants to Canada and called it unjust and racist. He was transformed by the stories that he heard and learned, and he's remembered for it. So too, Rosalind and Jonathan Goforth became so adept at anticipating God's work in the lives of those around them that they wrote a book called Miracle Lives of China to better tell those stories of God's action in a place and among a people who back home in Canada we could have never imagined God working among. To do this work is serving the world. And it's serving the world whether you're doing it on a mission trip overseas or you're doing it at a barbecue in your backyard. It is a service to the world to understand each other. This is what Jesus modeled for us. And it is a service to the world to see God moving and acting in stories that are not your own. This is what God showed to Israel through the prophet Amos. Eventually, as you're able to see beyond your own life experience and your own expectation of what God may be doing, and you see in another person or culture's stories the very work of God, then and only then will you be able to most adeptly join God in that work, to participate in it even just by naming it as good and as God's. But you may also be called and equipped to participate in that work in deeper ways, and to become another vessel through which God might show his love to people that we could easily say are far from him, providing hospitality and friendship 
advocating for justice for all the oppressed and marginalized. That in your choice to be that much more committed to serving the world, the truth of God's character, that God has always been all in for this creation, would be revealed more wholly in the lives of those who we meet, and that God might one day welcome still greater numbers into the feast of his kingdom. Amen. Would you pray with me? God, it is good and right that we should be able to name the ways you have been present in our lives and in our communities, that we would know stories of faith and claim them as ours as well. But we confess that it's hard for us to see beyond that sometimes, that our story is right in front of us, our culture is all around us, and to see beyond that, to imagine the kind of God you are and the ways that you work in places in the world that we've never even heard of, let alone been, is difficult and complicated. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes to see you at work even in the most unexpected places. That you, Holy Spirit, would open our ears and give us patience to hear and to understand the stories of people who are very unlike us, but who you have been showing your love and grace toward for countless generations. Father God, teach us how to be like you. Compel us to be more and more committed to serving this world as wholly and as completely as you have always been doing. Cause us to so love the world even as you do. Amen.